do you have to open locker room within 10 minutes or you get fined like $25,000? That's an NBA accessibility rule. So I go to Shaq with about eight minutes on the clock. Hey, I'm going to open the locker room. Just wanted to let you know. And he looked at me like dead on and he goes, don't do it, bro. I'm like, okay, you need a few more minutes. I got you. No big deal. So I go back to him at about like right at 10 minutes. I said, Hey, I, I just want to let you know, I'm an open locker room to the media. And he goes, don't do it, bro. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. I'm not like, okay, you need another minute or so. That's fine. Like I'm doing Shaq some big favor. So I go back over to now the whole locker room's watching me, all the players and me and Shaq in this thing. So I said to him, I said, Hey, I'm an open locker room, big fella. And he looks at me, goes, don't do it, bro. So I had a decision to make, like everyone's watching me, all the players. So I walked over to the locker room door. I opened it up. All the media came in. Shaq walked over to me, picked me up. My feet are dangling. And he put me in a garbage can. And it's like, welcome to the NBA. What's going on, y'all? Welcome into the first full episode of With Alex Coming, the podcast. Thank you so much for all the amazing feedback on the trailer episode. You guys have been really kind to me, and I appreciate it. It means a lot to me. So this episode, my interview with Joel Glass, Chief Communications Officer for the Orlando Magic, was a, a joy. I was I was in awe. It doesn't happen often that I'm starstruck, but here's one example. So this episode, we recorded it back in, I believe, August. So it was before the season, which is why there's no talk of what's going on currently in the NBA. And I also bring that up because the audio that I recorded it with is a little dated now. Hopefully now my setup is a lot nicer sounding, but this one we recorded over Zoom and I didn't have everything super set up the way that I liked it. So it's not too bad, but it's just different than how it's going to be going forward. So I want to reiterate, thank you again to Joel for your time and your kindness. It's been amazing knowing you and to Erica for setting it up. So I'm really excited to jump in and to let you guys hear the first interview on With Alex Coming. Enjoy. Joel, thank you so much for joining me this morning. I appreciate your time. It means a lot to have you on the show today. Uh, great to be here. So Joel, I've, I've known you for a brief period of time, but I've known about you since I started really, really looking behind the scenes and getting to know the people in the offices. Can you talk to me a little bit about your experience getting into sports? Sure. You know, I was like a lot of little kids that, in that I wanted to be a professional athlete and I probably was the, the only one who didn't realize that I was too short, too slow. Baseball was my sport. I really couldn't hit a whole lot, kind of good field, put the ball and play player. I did play three years of varsity baseball in high school and I was on a very good team and I had players on my team that were drafted. So there were scouts around. And I always thought that, you know, I always used to tell my dad, oh, don't worry, they'll find me, they'll find me. But they never found me. And so after my senior year of high school, before I was going to college and I went to the University of Iowa, my mom and dad said, we're going to get you a summer job. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm like, can I keep playing baseball? They're like, yeah, you can keep playing baseball, but we're going to get you a job during the day. And they sent me to work at a meatpacking plant. I'm from Chicago area yeah. on the South side of Chicago, which was my wake up call, my epiphany. And after about six weeks, I said to my parents, like, what are you doing to me? And they're like, if you don't work hard in school, that's how you'll end up. And I'm like, okay. So that was my wake up call. 
And then I said, well, what am I going to do? Because all I really did in high school was play baseball. I didn't really do mm-hmm. much else. You know, I was a very average student and so forth. And my dad said, well, if you can learn to write, you could get a job. So I'm like, okay, that's great. And so I went off to school at the University of Iowa. I walked in there probably my first day on campus and said, I want to do this. I want to be a sports writer. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You don't need to pay me. And they sent me off to some cross country meet in the middle of Iowa somewhere, probably hoping that I would never get back. And, uh, but from that point on, I, I began to write for the school newspaper and uh, which was a, a very, a very well-regarded school newspaper. And then my big break came in the summer after my freshman year, when I was hired by the Chicago White Sox as a summer intern and Howard Pizer was instrumental in that. And, and so that kind of became my as my launching pad into career in sports. And really, and I know this is a little long-winded, my goal became when I could, knew I wasn't going to be a player, how do I find my way to professional sports? And PR became my avenue. So meatpacking really put the fear of God into you, it sounds like. There is no question. I don't <laughs> think I ate meat for a whole year after working in that meatpacking plant, but because it was something. Funny enough, my freshman year of college, I moved to Chicago and I lived in Chinatown, which is right above Sox 35th. Right. So I went to a lot of White Sox games during that time. And I know I, I know what you're talking about in that area. There's a, you, you talk about working class. It is, it is industrial as industrial gets. Right. And, you know, so I, I was lucky enough that I spent three summers with the Chicago White Sox, 83. I'm going to date myself now, 83, 84, 85. So that was Tony La Russa, Ron mm-hmm. Kittle, Greg Walker, and then Carlton Fisk came and Tom Seaver mm-hmm. was there and Greg Luzinski and all those players. In 83, actually, the White Sox won the division and played the Orioles in the playoffs. And that was a time where there, I think there were only four teams, you know, two from each and, and had a great series against the Orioles and unfortunately lost. But also during my time there, the White Sox hosted the 50th major league baseball all-star game. So I got to work on that. And so it was a great, great launching pad for me into my career in sports. And, you know, a lot of people to thank in that regard, Chuck Shriver and Paul Jensen and Ken Valdeseri and Tim Clojo and all these guys who helped me launch my career in sports. Was that the Orioles team that ended up playing the Tigers? If I remember, 84, 84 was the Tigers. Right. So this was 83. I'd have to Google it. But all I know is the White Sox, Britt Burns pitched into the 10th inning for the White Sox in the playoff game. And and Tito Landrum hit a home run to knock him out in the 10th inning. Can you imagine a pitcher going into the 10th inning nowadays? I mean, it's crazy. No, no. So would not happen. Would not happen. Wow. So you spend your some of your freshman year in Chicago, you spend time there, then you finish out school. Right. So I finished out college, University of Iowa. So I I had, you know, a lot of experience writing for the school newspaper, the Daily Island. I had three years with the Chicago White Sox in their PR department. I had done some work for UPI, which was the Mm -hmm. wire service along with AP. I had done some stringing for the Chicago Tribune. So I was kind of like Tiger Woods, hello world, here I come. 
and uh, basically no one would hire me. So <laughs> really, um, but I, I sent out uh, now this was before computers. Okay. So I type uh, on a typewriter. I wrote to every major league baseball team, every single NFL team, every hockey team, every NBA team, and every major college looking for a job, individual letters. And I got a lot of rejection letters back. In fact, I still have those and uh, wow, kind of serves as motivation for me to this day, a little fear of failure I have. But uh, anyways, I got an amazing opportunity at the University of Florida. John Humanick, who was this idea there at the time, hired me as an intern, a one-year internship. So I, you know, with my parents, I'm saying like, let's just view this as a fifth year of school. And I went off to the University of Florida, not knowing a soul, and uh, got a got to work there in their sports information department. Oddly enough, they were looking for a baseball sports information director, and you know, I come off working three years with the White Sox, so I was the intern in charge of baseball. And really, my goal from there became if they were going to hire one person after my one year internship, in which they paid me like two thousand dollars, it was going to be me. So, you know, I just tried to be a good teammate, work hard, do everything and more. And I was fortunate enough that after my one year um, internship, the University of Florida hired me full time. And I spent 10 years there doing wow. everything, swimming, tennis, track, baseball, golf, obviously football, everyone worked on football. And then eventually I became the basketball sports information director at Florida. And my last years there were really great. We went to the final four in 1994 with Lonnie oh, yeah. Kruger as the coach and Demet Hook and Andrew DeClerc, Craig Brown, Dan Cross, and had a really great team. And, and from there, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity with Orlando Magic. Wow. So you go from Chicago, Illinois to Gainesville, Florida. I mean, right. culture shock, right? That's, that's <laughs> a little bit. That's, yep. <laughs> But wow, you would have gotten there, that you gotten there right after the Gators had a great football run. And then you leave right before they go to the national championship again. <laughs> so you're, right. you're right there in that little, that little window, but yeah. Wow. I, I had a good run there. there. Yeah. I was there. So 86 to 95, I was there. So really good. You know, my first year there, we went to the college world series in baseball. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then obviously great basketball runs with Lon Kruger and so forth. And a lot of great experience, you know, Steve Spurrier was the football coach towards the end of my time there. And it was, it was just a, it was a great time. It was great to be there. I loved, I loved living there and it was just, it's just a, a good time of my life there for sure. So you spent 10 years in Gainesville, you decide to stay in Florida the Orlando Magic during your time in Gainesville. Are you familiar with the franchise coming into fruition? Because I mean, you had the Miami Heat around that time. Right. Uh, the Timberwolves had just right. started. So in '89, the Magic came into being, and really, really, the the key thing that happened was David Steele, who was the voice of the Gators, became the voice of the Magic. So right away, that became my connection to the Magic, wow. and you know, David kept me up to date. On things. I was fortunate enough to meet Alex Martins. I was just fortunate that they had an opening. So I went through the interview process with the Magic because they were looking for an assistant PR director. And they actually offered me the job. And then I went to tell Jeremy Foley, who was the athletic director of Florida, that 
you know, I was leaving and I had this great opportunity with the magic and Jeremy, I'll never forget this. He offered me $5,000 on the spot to stay. And I'm like, $5,000. Like that felt like the most money in the world at that point to me. And so I decided to, I actually turned down the magic and stayed at the university of Florida for one more year. And then the job came open again and Alex Martins, who had hired me, and Alex always teases me, like, you, you don't get three strikes with me. Like, <laughs> you know, you already turned me down once. And I said, well, I mean, I'm, I probably upset a lot of people there. I don't know what the possibilities are. And I went through the interview process again. And I kind of put on a whole, a full force PR effort. You know, I had Dick Vitale call and all the guys who did football for CBS and coaches and everyone call everyone at the magic on my behalf. I was so fortunate there. And anyways, they ended up offering me the job again, which I couldn't believe. And I took it that time. And I've been with the magic obviously for 27 years. So two whole jobs, Alex, two whole jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, two, two damn good jobs from what it sounds like. So you get there, you said your first year was about 96. Well, uh, yeah, I came in October of 95. So right after the Magic were in the finals. Wow. They were in Month, the finals. Just months after. Yeah. Months after. That's right. Expectations, I imagine, were sky yeah. high with that young core. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I'll, I'll never forget walking in. Alex was the PR director at that time. Now is the CEO of the Magic and obviously a chairman of the UCF board. Alex said, go over to the rec center, meet the guys, just because I was going to be with them all the time. I was going to be traveling with the team. And I walked into that old rec center by the old arena and there's Shaq and Horace Grant and Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson and Anthony Bowie. And it was just like crazy. And I'm like, I'm walking into this. And I, I remember telling Alex, I said, every day here at the Magic, as I got going, felt like the final four, you know, I had just come off the final four with the Florida Gators and that was, you know, so huge. We played Duke in the national semifinal and tons of media and attention, but every day at the magic was the final four and just all the attention and everything. And so it was incredible. And the magic were coming off that finals against Houston. And it was kind of like the thing that, okay, we learned from the past at that experience, okay, now it's our turn. And it just was a tough ending to that era of magic mm-hmm. basketball. Still, nonetheless, it was an amazing, amazing experience. I wasn't around at that time as a magic fan, but from the amazing documentary, this magic moment, which I know you worked on, that documentary, my jaw was agape learning all of that when I saw it for the first time. And funny, you mentioned that that, that rec center, the one next to the tennis center right. you're speaking of, my middle school was downtown and we didn't have a gymnasium. So we would go to that rec center for mm-hmm. our gym and that we'd shoot basketball there. And it wasn't until I saw the documentary that I was like, I was like, oh my God, yeah. that's where I was, you know, 12 years old. And at the time, you know, I was, you know, all about, you know, Dwight Howard, Jerry Nelson. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm walking where they, so right. retroactively, I was fangirling over my middle school gymnasium. It's right. crazy just how, how embedded into Orlando, the, the magic are how magic history has grown with the city. And one of my favorite moments from the documentary is that inaugural season when they had the uh, parade downtown. Right, right. And it's wild just how how minimalist downtown seems compared to, you know, 30 years later, it just, it's like it's exploded. Orlando is just this huge city. 
It's great how the magic are ingrained in the city mm-hmm. from a community perspective and so forth. And, you know, our, our fans have been so great. And obviously they've been through a lot. And, you know, but that's part of being a fan. You know, I, I think one of the hard parts for us is that everyone got spoiled early. I mean, the Magic were in the finals the sixth year. They had the back-to-back number one pick. So there was not a whole lot of suffering, you know. And mm-hmm. obviously, I grew up in Chicago where, you know, it took the Cubs 108 years to win. And, you know, it's just – it's always wait till next year. And we got this player and that player and so forth. So, But the Magic fans early on never really – there was not – any suffering. And I think that's, that's important part of sports and being a fan. And that's why our fans have been so great. I mean, we, you know, even through the lean times, they have showed up and supported us and you feel the magic fans in Orlando. To me, I'm very biased, but magic fans are some of the nicest NBA fans that I've met. And I like to think it's it's because we really care about the team. Magic fans aren't bandwagoning. So 96. Can you take me through some of the feelings your first year that you said it was like the final four with the Gators to see the 96 season playoff and then going into the end of the 90s? Kind of what was that like Mm -hmm. for you? So I always tell, you know, when you work in the NBA, you always have a welcome to the NBA moment. And I'll tell you mine. So Alex was the PR director. I was the assistant PR director, but Alex was going to be moving up and So my job was going to be the day-to-day responsibility of the team, you know, being the liaison with the media, setting up all the interviews and so forth. So one of our very first road trips, you know, Alex went with me on the road trip to show me how things work in the NBA, you know, when you open the locker room, how you deal with the media, how you deal with the broadcasters and so forth. So we were in Boston. It was like a two-game trip. So the first game of the trip, Alex did his job, and I just kind of observed. And then the next game, he said, okay, you're in charge now, and pretend I'm not here. So we're in Boston, and Alex says to me, one of the things I like to do is check with the veterans before I open the locker room to the media, because you have to open the locker room within 10 minutes, or you get fined like... $25,000. $25,000. So that's, wow. that's an MBA accessibility rule. So anyways, I'm like, okay, I got that. I got that. No big deal. So the game ends in Boston. It's a preseason game. Like it doesn't really mean anything, but the whole world's still there to see Shaq and Penny and so forth. So I go to Shaq with about eight minutes on the clock. Hey, I'm going to open the locker room. Just wanted to let you know. And he looked at me like dead on and he goes, don't do it, bro. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, you need a few more minutes. I got you. No big deal. So I go back to him at about like right at 10 minutes. I said, Hey, I I just want to let you know, I'm going to open the locker room to the media. And he goes, don't do it, bro. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. I'm not like, okay, you need another minute or so. That's fine. Like I'm doing Shaq some big favor. So I go back over to now the whole locker room's watching me, all the players and me and Shaq in this thing. So I said to him, I said, Hey, I'm an open locker room, big fella. And he looks at me, goes, don't do it, bro. So I had a decision to make, like everyone's watching me, all the players. So I walked over to the locker room door. I opened it up. All the media came in. Shaq walked over to me, picked me up. My feet are dangling. And he put me in a garbage can. 
<laughs> and it's like, welcome to the MBA. <laughs> so that was my welcome to the MBA moment. <laughs> that's too funny. That's yeah. That's hilarious. But every every time traveling with Shaq was great and Penny and Horace, Dennis Scott was so great to me, kind of took me mm -hmm. under his wing and Nick Anderson. I mean, they were just great, great guys to have around. And, you know, they had a lot of fun. And, and that year we swept right through the playoffs and the Bulls swept right through. Michael Jordan had come back. So now it was us against the Bulls to go to the 96 finals. And Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen were like Dobermans. They, they wouldn't even let us get the ball over half court. It was a tough ending to that and, and obviously a tough ending to that era of magic basketball. Right. Um, and then from there, you know, we kind of had started rebuilding and the teams we had, you know, leading into the heart and hustle team with Darren oh, yeah. Armstrong and Bo Outlaw. Little did we know we had like a championship team right there with Ben Wallace and Chauncey Billups. Like Chauncey didn't play. He was hurt the whole year. But John Gabriel was clearing cap space to go after Grant Hill and Tim Duncan and Tracy McGrady. And, you know, obviously we ended up with Tracy and Grant, but the Daryl Armstrong, Bo Outlaw, Monty Williams was on that team. You know, just an amazing team of guys who no one gave a chance to, Ben Wallace and so forth. And so it was a fun team to be around. And and then we led into, you know, Grant obviously was unfortunately hurt in the Tracy McGrady area and watching him play mm -hmm. every year. So that was that kind of era. I was always impressed in the history of the Orlando Magic, how even when it seemed to be rebuilding, a new face for the Magic came because with Shaq departing and then when Penny left, you had Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill come in. Doc came in, coach of the yep. year, You're talking about the heart and hustle. People probably consider that three, four year span. And as soon as that, Dwight Howard comes to town. So any memories jump out to you from that early 2000s era, being around all those guys? Like yeah, I mean, it was such a, a great run for us, you know, which kind of culminated in the 2009 finals. And really 2010, we were almost better. But obviously that 2009 team, so obviously we drafted Dwight in whatever it was, 2004 or so. And Jameer Nelson came, you know, J.J. Reddick. Um, Hito. And then we signed Hito and Richard. Like you say, like Richard Lewis was the free agent at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and those guys want to play with great players and have a chance to win. And we have everything else here. You know, beautiful sunshine. We always say 72 degrees, no state tax, great facilities, great arena, great fans. But our 2009 run with, Stan, you know, Stan Van Gundy as the coach and you know, Steve Clifford was his assistant who later became our coach and so forth. But it was such a great run. And and you look what Stan did, like we were kind of the, in a way, the Warriors before the Warriors, you know, we play Dwight inside and four out all shooting three pointers mm -hmm. and teams had to pick their poison. You know, are they going to double Dwight and leave Rashard and Hedo and Jameer and those guys open or are they going to just single Dwight and Dwight would eat them up? So it was such a great run. In 2009, we probably surprised a lot of people. Unfortunately, Jameer Nelson got hurt. But then Otis Smith and Dave Twardzik did a great job bringing in Rafer Alston. Just a good run in that regard. And then 2010, we were almost better. Vince Carter was in town. Learned, yeah. And, you know, I, I always go back to 2009, too. 
just realized in game one in the NBA finals, okay, we're Dira headlights playing Kobe, the Lakers, Paul Gasol. We get blown out in game one. In game two, Stan drew up a great play, unfortunately, Courtney Lee, which was a tougher layup than people say, but he, you know, he missed the putback. That was a tougher play than people think. But if we win that, it's 1-1. We came home from game three. The arena was just happened. We weren't going to ever lose that game. You know, we would have been up to one. And then game four, Derek Fisher hits a three. You know, we had free throws at the end of the game. We could have sealed it. We would have been up 3-1 against the Lakers. But, you know, it just shows how fine that is. And then 2010, we swept right through the playoffs. We maybe lost a game or so. And then we we didn't play. I remember we didn't play for almost six days as we were waiting for Boston. And, you know, you kind of lose your edge and those coming back and then playing Boston, we got down in that series and it went six games, but we could never get on top of that. And there we were again. The Magic have had a lot of really cool people come around that I don't think a lot of people realize were a part of the team in some capacity, like having Patrick Ewing in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Vince Carter and I always see Vince Carter jerseys when I'm at game. Dr. J, I know he spent some time in the office for about a year. Was he right. fun to be around? For the brief yeah, there. yeah, it was great. I mean, to have Julius Irving as part of yeah. the front office staff. I remember we were once on a leadership retreat and we went to play pickup basketball and then Julius came with <laughs> us. And I'll never forget, I was bringing the ball up the court once and then I look and there's Julius, his just huge wingspan, giant hands. And I'm like, okay, now this is me against Julius. I'm going to just slap the ball away from me and went down and like dunked it. <laughs> like, okay, this, this the, is not going to work. But <laughs> you, tell, you tell these stories, they sound like fever dreams I've had. Like getting pulled. It's, that's wild. I always love how the magic seem to be, they're ingrained in such special parts of basketball history. When watching the Last Dance documentary, when they had the bit about Michael Jordan coming back from baseball and then Orlando getting right. some, you know, the, mu- the music's all sad and dramatic. Like, oh, he got, you know, the magic just, and Nick Anderson stole the ball. But I'm like, let's go. I'm like, right, I love, right. I, I mean, that footage gets me hyped as I'll get out. And then in 09, you know, everybody's like, oh, I wish there was a LeBron Kobe finals. But yeah. The magic like, we're not going to let that happen. Right. We're right. not going to let that happen. Which that, that Cavaliers magic series is one of my favorites to watch. Right. Always one right. of my favorites. Yeah, no doubt. And Ron in that series was amazing. And and then he took off his jersey as he was leaving. So yeah, that was that was something. But yeah, some great iconic moments in in our history. I know, you know, we've been to the playoffs 16 times in 32 years, been to the finals twice. Like a lot of teams would take that. A lot of teams would take oh, yeah. that. No and doubt. So it's been a it's been a it's been a great run. And obviously now we're moving into the next phase. I'm going to want to come back to hear some more memories, but I want to move about 10 years from where we left off to the present. I have distinct memories of the 09 finals, being a young guy, the fan throughout all the 2010s. Now there's just this electricity in the Magic fan base. There's something so special. You, you can feel it. Like the song says, there's a magic in our town. I was at Harry Buffalo for the NBA draft in 2021. It was only the upstairs area, if you know Harry Buffalo. Hey, y'all. Editing Alex here. This section, I forgot to mention it, but I'm speaking about the 2021 NBA Draft Lottery and the 2022 NBA Draft Lottery, which is different than Draft Night. The Draft Lottery is where they pick the ping pong balls to see the order in which the teams select players. Just wanted to clarify that. 
And that night was awesome getting to meet everybody. And of course, it ended up being, you know, Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, who I, I love dearly. But then one year later, it was packed. You could, there was no standing room. It was shoulder to shoulder. I, I was talking to Eric, who I was with, and I said, Joel is either over the moon right now, or he has his hands in his face, or he has his face in his hands. You said you didn't have your phone. The, the footage from that night of watching, you know, counting mm-hmm. down and then going to commercial break and everybody realizing we made it to the commercial break, like <laughs> we're good. Right. I was riding high. I had a smile on my face that you couldn't, you couldn't surgically remove that night. The right. energy was just amazing. So in Chicago, can you kind of yeah. talk me through that? Yeah. So the lottery, so you're talking about the draft lottery. So the draft lottery is actually held about an hour and a half before the show goes on TV on ESPN. So what happens is one person from each team is in the lottery drawing room. And then there's some media that are in there and some league personnel and so forth. And so the lottery actually takes place like an hour and a half before. So they bring you into the room. So I was, I don't know how I got that job, Alex, but (laughs) I I had been in the lottery room before and not had great success. But for whatever reason, I was, they said, Jeff Weltman and Alex Martin said, Joel, you're going in the lottery room. I'm like, okay. This guy got shoved into it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, good luck to me. So anyway, so we're in the lottery room. So in the lottery room, before you go in, you go through a metal detector. They take your phone. They took my Apple watch. They took my computer and anything I could have to communicate was no longer with me. And then the only thing I was able to take into the lottery room was I brought with me the ping pong balls when we won the Shaq, Chris Webber lottery, which became Penny Hardaway and Dwight Howard. Those were the, I brought those three ping pong balls in with me for good luck. So the lottery starts and how it is, is you have number combinations, four number combinations, and then the balls just come up. So the first ball that came up, I'm trying to remember the numbers, but the first ball came up, I think was 14. Everyone in the room had a 14. Okay. So even the team with the lowest odds, and then it was 13. So then that kind of narrowed it down to the three of us, Houston, Oklahoma city and us. And then it, you know, the last number I think was six. If I remember, I, I actually, I'm not sure if I remember that, but anyways, it came up. And I almost didn't know we won the lottery at that point, but the Houston rep next to me kind of elbowed me goes, that's you. But I'm like, I still needed to hear it from the league. And then they said Orlando had won. So now I know, and I cannot tell a soul for an hour and 15 minutes. Cause that is your your heart just racing. Well, I just, I've been in the lottery room before when people have won and, been very demonstrative and it's a big party and I just didn't want to be that I just wanted to be more humble and down to earth but everyone came up to me in the room and was congratulating me and all the media was there and so forth and my last text I looked at before I went in my daughter Maddie who's actually going to UCF in the fall here she said dad don't f it up that's what she said to me that so that was her last text to me and that was the last text I saw. So like I have any say in this, 
the whole lottery process takes, I mean, it may take 10 minutes at the most, maybe, maybe less than that. And now we're just locked in this room because they don't let you out of the room until the show is over. And then they put the show mm -hmm. on TV and so forth. So I could not wait to get out of that room. But can you imagine? I'm the only person, you know, with in the, the entire world knows for an just hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That's that must be style. some advanced form of torture. That's <laughs> wild. <laughs> so then you, hour 15 goes by, you get let out. Yep. Coach Moe's, Alex. Yep. Jeff, yeah, I went running and, over and to them. Like, he's like, Big hey hugs, big dinner, big celebratory dinner. And I felt so bottles. happy. Yeah, I felt so happy for the fans and for our scouts who spend mm -hmm. the whole year. I mean, we have you know, so many scouts that spend the whole year on the road in hotel rooms. And now here we have the number one pick and control the drafts. So pretty exciting times. Last time we spoke, we were talking about draft prospects. You know, I, know I brought up Chet and Jabari. And I feel like such a fool at the time because Paolo didn't even cross my mind to talk about him. And all over social media, everybody was saying, it's either going to be Jabari or Chet, Jabari or Chet. And then there was the little, the little Paolo fan club there. And everybody said, the Orlando Magic, the front office, they don't let anything get out. They are lips sealed. And night of at the Amway Center, it was, I mean, an incredible night. It was, it was outstanding. So kudos to whomever set that up because I had a, an, an amazing time. It was my first time getting to walk on like the sidelines of the court. So what's going on behind the scenes with, with you guys leading up right. to the draft night? Right. So, you know, the draft process, and I, I give Jeff Weltman and John Hammond and, you know, Jamal Bosley a ton of credit because I, I can't say it was some grand strategy. Like, to be honest, it was, we just kept our mouths shut. And the way things work nowadays is, you know, someone puts, okay, so obviously it was Jabari, mostly, you know, as we looked at all the mock drafts and it just built on itself and everyone just assumed that's where we were. And obviously Jeff Weltman and leading our basketball operations does an amazing job of doing his due diligence, being disciplined in his approach, doing all the research and so forth. And we couldn't go wrong really with any of the three that were perceived at the top of the draft. And so that felt good. And, you know, but when you saw, and nothing against the other guys, because they're going to be great players, but when you saw Paolo's body and his skills, which he showed at summer league, like, then you can see it. Like all you have to do is see him and, and see him in person really, but he has amazing skills. And the, you know, the one thing we're going to have to remember is he is 19 years old. Right. So it's still a man's league and, you know, there's a lot of growing and development, but his ceiling is so high. And the thing that's great about him is he's unfazed in the big moments you know, because of going to Duke and how he grew up and the job his parents did. But he's also very unselfish. Like he's a willing passer. And to think about him and Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter, you know, how those guys will complement each other is going to be great. And, you know, and bringing back Mobamba and, you know, our fans are going to get to see Bull Bull for the first time up there. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, just highly skilled guy who, you know, sometimes those guys, 
to be great in this league, you need incredible talent. You need competitive fire, but you also need opportunity. And you, you really need those three things. And just the fact that, you know, we have 11 guys who are 24 and younger, of 24 and younger. They really love being around each other. The culture, I don't like to use the word culture too much, but what Jamal Mosley has done is he is such a great leader and he really cares about them as people and players and he cares about the staff. And so I, I think we have a really exciting thing going and, you know, we just got to grow together and see where we are. It reminds me a lot of last year's summer league where it seemed like the eyes were on Jalen Suggs playing. Then Franz Wagner I mean, he made yeah. a first-team all-rookie. And then this year, with Paolo, eyes around Paolo, then Caleb starts balling out. Yeah. And I'm like, these, I'm like, these kids from Michigan, the Magic might be to have <laughs> Michigan straight straight on hotline. I mean, these these Michigan kids are really, really right. putting in the work. Yeah, so, so it's a, we just have a great group. We have a really good group, and it'll be a fun group to grow with. And then, you know, it's set up that we have flexibility to do what we are going to need to do when, when the time is right. So that that's the beauty of it too. So it's, it's just a great time to be a magic fan um, mm. and just kind of grow with our group and kind of go from there. So I was there, I think it was March, 2021, the day before Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier and Vooch were all traded where Evan Fournier in the last moments of that Phoenix Suns game, he shot the, I believe it was the three-pointer. I think it was over Devin Booker. It was still the limited capacity Amway Center, but I was there with my sister and it just felt amazing that night. And I was looking around and I was like, this is the end of a special era for the magic to me because when I was really starting to follow like stats and watching all the trades come in and all that, that I would say like 16 to 2020 group with Evan Fournier, Bucevic, Kem Burge, that group holds a special place to me, but I, I knew that night that stuff was going to change and it's coming to fruition. And now I love getting to watch this group come up. And every game that I went to this season was outstanding. It was electric. And there's a lot of people who are underrated the Magic this past year because I was there for both of those Milwaukee games. The Magic against Giannis and that whole team, they put up an amazing fight those two nights. I was like, the Magic, there's a good chance they could win these games. And then in just the last couple of minutes, you know, the game kind of got away from them, but the whole night, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, they're not running the magic off the court. Yeah, we, you know, our guys are going to compete, and you know, the next phase is really learning how to win those close games, and mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But they're going to work hard. They really like each other, and 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 that's mm-hmm. important. And I think people can see that. And you know, obviously, when players leave, like I was very close to Vooch and know Aaron Gordon and Evan and those those are hard times but at the same time you have to make some difficult decisions and you know see where you are to raise your bar a little bit or raise the ceiling and so forth so a lot of exciting times ahead and the other thing I will say is the value in going to you can to go to a magic game is there like you could get a monthly fast break pass for $49 and get five games and, you know, it's just a great product that you could get on our website at orlandomagic.com. But we're trying to make affordable options for all fans. And that monthly fast break pass is 
uh, very innovative thing that our innovation and analytics team came up with. It's been so popular, so popular. And it, it's just a great way that everyone can, can enjoy Magic basketball. I just want to ask a few more about some of your memories with the Magic. So 2020, you were there in the bubble with the Magic. Right, right. And what was that like? So the bubble was an amazing, maybe an amazing human experiment, I guess I would say. So I was there for 54 days and obviously could not leave. But if you said to me, okay, I need to combine a couple entities to make this work, Mm -hmm. who would you pick? And to me, you have the right, you have Disney. Okay, no one does it better. The NBA. And you combine mm-hmm. those two and, and you know what, I'm going to throw Advent health in there also, just mm-hmm. because of all the health and safety protocols and, and so forth. But you put those groups together and say, make this work. It's amazing. They did everything they could to make our life great as, as good as can be. And it, it's hard because people were sacrificing big time, missing their families and so forth. But at the same time, like I had a meal room, we had access to the golf course, we had workout facilities. I'm a big swimmer, you know, as my workout regimen, you know, we were staying at the Grand Floridian and I had the swimming pool right out front. I'd swim with the ducks every morning. And then we had the innovation of the media via Zoom and so forth. So it was just incredible. And then they made the, the basketball court, they made it into a TV studio like all different camera angles and microphones. And, you know, so you walked into it and you felt like you were on a set of who wants to be a millionaire. Like it was just all the lights and everything. And it was like a stage and just to think of the innovation. And then, you know, we had to take care of our corporate partners. So, you know, we used that first downline technology to put their logos on the court when we were playing and the different camera angles and, you know, we did all our media via, via Zoom. So instead of like locking people out, you know, only so many people could come to a game. Now our media sessions were open to the world. And so we had so many learnings, like we looked at it and the league looked at it as a challenge, but more than a challenge, this is an opportunity. And, and that was the most amazing thing about the bubble. Like it was an incredible incredible time and i can't wait to watch the 30 for 30 on the bubble <laughs> i hope that you're a part of it if, considering how <laughs> amazing the magic moment was we'll see were, we'll see <laughs> yeah i look forward to it you were you were in toronto the year before with the uh, dj augustine game winner right. mm-hmm. there is nothing like you know so toronto had had some playoff failures in the past And there is nothing like their sold out arena. And then DJ comes down and hits that three to win the game. And then, you know, in the first round, they space it out. So we're not going to play for two or three days. So for two or three days, all they're listening to is how they failed, how they're going to fail again. How could they let the magic? And like, we were the toast of the, town in the league it's like a great it's a great few days it's a great few days when something like that happens and I think we lost to you know the next year we beat Milwaukee too right so I think we lost to I think we lost 
to the eventual NBA champion in successive years, and we won game one. So we did um, first game. Yeah. We were right yeah. by. I mean, just to quiet that arena, like there, there. Let me tell you something. Winning on the road in the NBA, mm-hmm. there's nothing better. There's nothing better. It's you, your group against the world every time you go into a city, and mm-hmm. and that that's one of the great things about sports. Do you have a favorite arena to travel to? A favorite city to visit? You know, so I'm from Chicago, so I kind of take that mm-hmm. out of the mix. But Boston to me is an amazing sports city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the year that we got in the playoffs with Steve Clifford, we played Boston in one of the last games. We played Charlotte the next night, but we had to beat Boston to get mm-hmm. to clinch. And Kyrie Irving was going off and their fans were just crazy. And then I go back to our playoffs against Boston. And it's a great city. Boston is a great, great sports city, good eating city. It's just so that that's, that's one of my favorites. It's always great to go to New York and so forth. And we're creatures of habits. When we travel, we tend to go to the same places and do some of the same things. So before I wrap it up, I just want to hear some of your favorite moments from all of your time at the magic, whether that's with a certain player, a certain night, something that people might not be able to find on the internet until Um, now. So, I mean, obviously our playoff runs were great, you know, being with that heart and hustle team and Daryl Armstrong, Bo Allah, that, that's, that was a really special time. So I don't know if the internet was there then (laughs) maybe, but you know, and and the early days too, like I, I, like I said before, we were kind of the warriors before social media, Mm -hmm. every place we went, the fans were lined up to watch us warm up. Every hotel we went to, they were waiting for Shaq and Penny to get off the team bus. Shaq used to try and dress up in disguise. I'm like, you're seven feet tall. Like, they're going to know who you are. You know, like I say, we're still after the ring and hopefully we get there with this group. But the journey's important too. The journey's important mm-hmm. too. And and so the different eras that we've talked about, they, they just all have special moments. And then I go to our community work, you know, the, what the DeVos family, like people have to realize the DeVos family could live anywhere in the world they want to live. Okay. And they, and they've chosen Orlando and the money that they give to charities, they just celebrated 30 years of ownership and giving out another 3 million. We give out money through the Orlando Magic Youth Foundation. We've been impacted hundreds of thousands of kids, you know, over the time that we have been here and helped at-risk youth in their life. And that really goes back to the DeVos family and Mr. DeVos and Rich DeVos, who obviously has passed, but he wanted to use the team as a platform to do good things. And, Mm -hmm. And that's what we really try and do every day. So it's great. It's great on the court, off the court. And, and hopefully we're in for an exciting run right here. No doubt. So Joel, I, I I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, I I so appreciate getting to chat and at some other point in time, expect me to reach out again, because I'm certain there's, I'm going to come up with more questions and things to chat about. If you have anything you want to say to the magic fans or anything you'd like them to know, you know, we obviously, we appreciate you. We ask a lot of our fans and we know that. No, we ask them for their time, you know, money, obviously, and emotional Mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. So we don't take that lightly. We don't take that lightly. We ask a lot of our fans, and we truly appreciate them. 
Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to the uh, throwback jerseys that'll be coming back next season. All right. We'll see what comes up. <laughs> Great. So there it is. The first interview on With Alex Coming, my new podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. And you better believe that I'm going to be back on Friday to speak with y'all some more. I'll see you then.